A tour through John. This is lesson six. Yesterday, we looked at the great miracle at Cana when Jesus turned water to wine. We'd like to recap that just a little bit before we get into today's passage. One important thing I tried to stress is that Jesus thought it was important to make time for this event a family event, a social event, but he took time uh, for relationships. He wasn't rushed. Another point has to do with the timing. He emphasizes when his mother seems to urge him to act, to take charge or to use his powers. Um, He says, my time's not yet come. Like, don't rush me. I'm on a very important schedule here. And that sense of being about God's business and not wanting to squander God's time um, is, is very important as well. I suppose you could go to one of two extremes. One, when you're always taking time out for people and you're distracted, you're very nice but not very productive. The other, where you're so businesslike that you kind of push people away, even though you're trying to help. Jesus has that perfect balance. The signs, as we saw at the end of last lesson, are not arbitrary. It explains why Jesus didn't go berserk using his miraculous powers. It's just imagine, you know, if you or I uh, possessed these abilities, what would we do? I'd probably be doing all kinds of miracles every day to try to influence people. Jesus used these powers uh, to bring about these great signs because they spoke of who he was, of God's nature. It told people, it uh, demonstrated important theological truths. And that's quite different than the way most people approach uh, the subject of of miracles. Now, each lesson in this series of 40 days or more, we'll see, um, hopefully is putting a spotlight on some important angles in John, maybe things you've never seen before. And I'm betting if you're new to the faith, a lot of this is quite new. Otherwise, it's a good reminder. But what each lesson should Uh, bring to our uh, awareness a major motif, maybe like the issue of time, the the sense of Jesus following uh, the timing of the Father, which goes from the beginning all the way to his death when he says it is finished. A major motif, a minor motif like water, a pattern sequence like come and see, you know, in evangelism, one of the three heptads, those groups of seven, the seven signs, seven confessions, seven I am saying, or any other insight, um, but I, I really want this to, to meet needs, and I appreciate you in between lessons praying for me to have energy and awareness and, and wisdom, not to say too little or too much. All right, um, right now we are in the holiday season. That is the time that I'm actually recording this, probably the time you're listening to it, but I don't assume that. Uh, this is a kind of a special time in our country. There's a buzz in the air. There's a lot of commerce going on, a lot of traditions, a lot of feelings, a lot of strong positive feelings, a lot of strong sad feelings, lots of customs, uh, memories being formed, memories being accessed from the past. There's a hustle and bustle of that holiday season, and that kind of sets the background for this next um, uh, section. Let me say one other thing before I read. that The ministry of Jesus in the Gospel of John is constructed around three or four Passovers. It's 
So we find the Passovers in 213, 223, 6-4, 11-55. Now see, in contrast, as I mentioned in the opening lesson, the three synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, paint the picture of a single year, a one-year ministry with a single Passover. That is, Mark and those who followed him have, have decided to portray Jesus's ministry this way for simplicity, because it's more effective. Uh, John, uh, who is almost certainly an eyewitness, and, and the Apostle John is the front runner for who wrote this, um, was present on, on all these events, and he thought, no, let's, um, let's show how he went up and down. Jesus was uh, uh, observant, uh, faithful to the, the various feasts and Passover. So um, a lot of feasts in uh, in the Gospel of John, it's not just Passover, it's tabernacles. Um, there's Hanukkah, which we'll come to in chapter 10. All right, that's enough uh, introduction. Let's read. When it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple courts, he found people selling cattle, sheep, and doves, and others sitting at tables exchanging money. So he made a whip out of cords and drove all from the temple courts, both sheep and cattle. He scattered the coins of the money changers, overturned their tables. To those who sold doves, he said, get these out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a market. Okay. Jesus cleanses the temple through which unspiritual influence, particularly of the priestly leadership, had really infected the people with an attitude that was not godly, was not holy. And the temple precincts had kind of become a, a center for, for greed, you know, for profit. People wanting to, oh, I don't know, just get something out of religion. Uh, people often ask that when we talked with non-Christians. They'll say, well, you know, what's in it for me? Or what do I get? Or, or, or subtle questions like, and when is it over? Or uh, how much money do you want? Or, you know, people looking out for themselves. But the focus gets very uh, humanistic instead of focused on God. Jesus is really signaling to the powers that be that he's serious um, about God's judgment on what they're doing. If he, if he wanted to, I suppose he could have organized all the apostles and they could have all found others to go throughout the, you know, the temple courts are just enormous, acres and acres and acres of land. I, I guess they could have kicked over every table and every business. It seems to be a one-man operation, though. It's just Jesus, which means he's probably only kicking over a few tables. In fact, if you're at the other end of the temple precincts, the temple mount is just enormous. Have you ever been up there? Uh, uh, maybe take a look, a picture, take a look at it online and get a view, um, get an idea in your mind of how large it is. If he was kicking over tables, people on the other side of the temple courts would probably not even be aware. It's quite possible they wouldn't even hear what was going on. It's that big. Now, what he's doing is signaling Annas and Caiaphas. Caiaphas was the high priest that year, and Annas was his father-in-law, who in a sense retained power by having his son-in-law be high priest. So Jesus is sending this message if he, again, if he wanted to interrupt all commerce, he would have had to do a more thorough job. But that's not his purpose. His purpose is not to reform this in, in one you know, five-minute outburst. It's to send a message to Annas and Caiaphas, you are not legitimate, and we are on a collision course. Because Jesus has been ministering most of his 
ministry uh, up in Galilee, the challenge to the temple is going to bring swift retribution. This is going to trigger his execution. Some say Jesus did wrong, that he lost his temper. I doubt it very much. Uh, For one, the text never says he whipped the vendors, just the animals, or scared them. And besides, Jesus forbade violence. Jesus wouldn't let people use violence on people. You can't use evil to overcome evil. That was one of his uh, central teachings. So when Jesus cleansed the temple, he's accusing the religious leaders of crass commercialism. That was in verse 16. Get these out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a market. In Matthew, Mark, and Luke, he charges them with having made it into a den of robbers. And that's a quote from Jeremiah 7.11, Jeremiah's famous temple sermon, where he positions himself strategically, just as Jesus did, at the entrance to the temple. It basically tells the worshipers, you're wasting your time unless you change. Um, it's supposed to be a house of prayer, right, for, for all nations, in fact. And, and you've turned it into a den of robbers, a cave of thieves. So um, you'll find this, uh, the, also the idea of the house of prayer in Isaiah 56, verse 7. So Jesus' wrath was justly aroused. And also, you should take a look at the last chapter of Zechariah, especially the final sentence. It's a view of, in the Lord's day, that there will no longer be traders, traders as those who trade, in the house of the Lord of hosts on that day. So Jesus is aware that he's fulfilling scripture. His, his disciples remember the scripture. They remember that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. Now, that is an amazing uh, passage in Psalm 69, which is a highly messianic psalm. Uh, I know in our series on the Psalms, I, I try to flesh that out. Um, there, there are several things in that psalm that relate to Christ. But his disciples felt zeal, his zeal. Now, zeal is not just energy. The word zealous is related to the word jealous. It suggests a passionate concern with the honor and glory of God. For example, in 2 Corinthians 11, Paul is jealous for the Corinthians with a godly zeal because he's afraid that they've been seduced and led astray from their commitment. They've become unfaithful spiritually. They've been seduced the way Eve was led astray back in Genesis 3. And when Paul is jealous with a godly zeal, he's he's jealous, we have that word zelo, with a godly zeal, zelo. So zelo means that he's jealous and, and zeal. So uh, sometimes the translation will help you out, even if you don't see the Greek. So zeal is not a synonym for energetic or even heartfelt or sincere. Zeal means passion. Sure, of course it does. But it's an intense spiritual ardor, much more than just mere heat. And if you want to uh, uh, chase this theme down when the series is over, uh, I would encourage you to listen to the Old Testament character podcast on Phineas. And the link is right here in the the notes. Uh, Phineas, who is the, in Numbers 25, who is kind of the embodiment of zeal in the Old Testament. Okay, so how do people respond to Jesus um, with his kicking over the tables and preaching and so forth? Verse 18, the Jews responded to him, What sign can you show us to prove your authority to do this? Okay, again, when it says the Jews responded, the Jews, I mean, sure, these are the people who are are there, but but everyone there is Jewish or interested in Judaism. It's really referring to um, those who feel um, the sting of his attack. These are the leaders. The Jews in John often means the leaders. So it's not very surprising his challenge uh, didn't go down well. And they ask him to produce a sign. Of course, he's not going to produce a sign. 
He promises that the true temple of the Spirit, which is his own body, well, that's going to be resurrected. And of course, that's not going to be understood either, right? As is so common in John, Jesus' words are twisted or misunderstood. And it's as though Jesus is speaking on channel one, the heavenly spiritual channel. His followers are often tuned into channel two, and, and his detractors and the establishment are definitely on channel two. Channel two, the earthly physical channel. So I'll, I'll make use of this analogy in various points in this series. But they ask him to produce a sign. You know, John's gospel is just full of double entendres and misunderstandings. And actually, I think it helps me to learn to watch others misunderstand. That helps me to realize, oh, wait, there's an important spiritual truth here. Have I, have I missed it too? Well, let's keep reading. Jesus answered them, here's your sign. Destroy this temple, I will raise it again in three days. They replied, it's taken 46 years to build this temple. You're going to raise it in three days? But the temple he had spoken of was his body. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples recalled what he had said. Then they believed the scripture and the words that Jesus had spoken. Okay, so we have here that, that misunderstanding, that channel two, channel one thing. Now the temple, by the way, it's true. It had been under construction for 46 years by this time. Um, and when the Jews made their comment, um, uh, that the one I just read, if this is 27 AD, when Jesus began his, um, it's, there's a question of when this actually happened. I think it, it probably happened in 30 AD. And if that's the case, it had been under construction for, well, it says 46 years. Um, I'm not going to argue with the text. Construction began in 20 BC. There's no year zero, so 46 years means 27 AD. And ancient historians tell us that the improvements were still ongoing when the war with Rome, the first Jewish war, broke out in 66. So, you know, it's kind of like repairing the roads in Atlanta or Chicago or, uh, you know, Birmingham or Manchester. Sometimes it just keeps going on and on. Like, when will they ever finish? Okay. Verse 23. Now, while he was in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, many people saw the signs he was performing and believed in his name. But Jesus would not entrust himself to them, for he knew all people. He did not need any testimony about mankind, for he knew what was in each person. That's our passage for today. So we can see it's the Passover time, time of hustle and bustle. He uh, undertakes a, a, an activity not likely to endear himself to the establishment. Uh, he will not entrust himself to them or to people in general. Not to say he was a paranoid kind of guy, uh, but simply he could tell what was in people. And when it was duplicity or hypocrisy, Jesus reacted quite strongly. Um, I found a cool passage in the ancient Jewish sayings. Seven things are hidden from man. The day of death, the day of consolation, the depths of judgment, one's reward, the time of the restoration of the kingdom of David, the time when the guilty kingdom... Rome will be destroyed, and what is within another? So the Jews thought that what is within another is something that's hidden. So this is yet another implicit claim to power or divine power or divinity. And Jesus' miraculous signs were leading many people to believe in him. It wasn't just because he did something dazzling. It has more to do with the meaning of the signs. And yet he knew the fickleness of the crowd. His knowledge of human nature prevented him from trusting humans the way he trusted his father. Now, before we conclude and pray, 
Just one technical point. I don't know how you can fast forward through this if you don't want to hear it, but here goes. When did this cleansing take place, this attack on the, the temple, the money changers? Was it near the beginning of his ministry, as we see in John, or at the end, which we see in the three synoptic gospels, or was it both? That is, was it done more than once? Well, it seems to me that John recounted the cleansing early in his gospel for a theological reason, to show that the new wine the Messiah was offering would not be accepted by the corrupt religious establishment. He's on a collision course with the temple and its powerful priestly hierarchy. See, for ancient writers, theology trumps chronology. You can move things around. As long as you don't misrepresent uh, what someone was saying or what he stood for, totally fine to move things around. You want to compress his ministry into one year? Go for it. You want to make it, keep it at three? No problem. It's not a mistake. We might think it is. That's our modern journalistic sensibility. But it's not a mistake. It's a deliberate repositioning of the account of the cleansing in order to make a statement. I think that's the easiest solution rather than having a double cleansing. Well, yeah, he cleaned it out at the beginning of his ministry and surprise, surprise, a few years later, he had to do it again. Well, the truth is he'd have to do it probably every week. Um, now, I, I think it's it's put right after the uh, miracle, the sign of water being turned to wine for a reason. And I would encourage you to think about the connection between those two things. In fact, a couple other things to think about. Have we defined zeal biblically? I mean, am I a zealous person? Is it possible that that I have confused energy with conviction or just stamina, um, perseverance with zeal? Zeal has to do with a deep conviction, a jealousy, a sense of affront of how dare you do this? God is holy. Our God is holy. And you, you're leading people away from him. Um, zeal in fellowship, not just nice social... Mm, interactions, uh, platitudes, talking about the weather or sports, the niceties, but really having zeal and conviction and fellowship and evangelism and at home, right? Zeal. Zeal for your house will consume me. If Jesus visited the church I attend, how well would he be received? Would there be any overturned tables or traditions? That is a good question. That is an important question. Our Lord taught us through specific words, but also through specific actions. And we don't have to guess what the actions mean. He interprets it for us. He shows us that what he has done uh, is because the house of God has been turned into this, uh, this place of commerce, into a market. And the commercialization of religion is a great evil. Let's pray. Lord, what a wonderful passage. Um, we love the way the cleansing of the temple follows right on the transformation of, of water to wine. Help us to ponder the connection and maybe to see things we've never seen, no matter how many times we've read these accounts. But we pray that as we go through the day, the day before us now, that we will we'll be zealous, we'll be wholehearted and sincere and and other qualities of, of nice people. But we know that zeal is not that. It has to do with jealousy for your honor, that we want to represent you. We have no interest in, in compromising. We have a passion for holiness, and we know without holiness we'll never see you, for you've said so yourself. Lord, we thank you for Jesus who taught, 
who modeled and he trained. And his, his disciples were trained and they trained others. Help us to continue that chain of, of training um, others, whether they're Christians yet or not, but always uh, keeping in mind the example of Jesus so that we truly do follow him. Thank you so much for Jesus Christ. In his name, amen. And tomorrow we'll be meeting a new character, and that, of course, is Nicodemus as we begin John chapter 3.